Hello and welcome to another edition of This Week in Labor. I am your host, Tim Billadu, and we have a couple of stories for you this week. Let's start off with the recent Supreme Court ruling on Janus. This first article is from In These Times and is written by Moshe Z. Marvit and is titled, Janus is Here, But Don't Ring the Death Knell for the Labor Movement. In a major decision that will impact labor for decades, the U.S. Supreme Court has just declared that all public sector workers who are represented by a union have a constitutional right to pay the union nothing for representation. The court overturned its landmark 1977 decision in Abood versus Detroit Board of Education, which permitted public sector unions to charge fair share fees that cover the cost of providing collective bargaining and contract administration to non-members that were represented by the union. Today, in Janus versus AFSCME, the Supreme Court has held that the First Amendment prohibits public employee unions from charging a mandatory fee for the cost of representation. Therefore, going forward, all public sector employees will be under a so-called, quote, right to work. The union busting legal framework that denies unions the ability to charge workers dues. In some ways, the decision is worse than expected. The ruling also makes union membership opt-in rather than opt-out. This will significantly increase the cost and burdens on labor. This decision will directly and indirectly impact how unions are structured, how they engage with their members and objectors, how they organize and educate, and how they are funded. But this decision will not destroy, defund, or decimate labor. First off, the Genesis decision will only directly impact less than half of the labor movement. This is because the ruling only applies to public sector workers, federal, state, and local government employees. However, federal employees, including postal employees, have long been under so-called right to work, so Janus will have minimal direct impact on them. Furthermore, many state and local public sector workers are already in right to work states, so this ruling will have no effect on them. This is not to say that the whole labor movement will not be negatively impacted by the decline in membership among public sector unions. But it is important to remember that Janus will not replace all union members under right to work. It is difficult to predict what effect Janus will have on union membership overall. There's a good chance there will be at least some decline in membership thanks to the free rider problem, the likelihood of some workers who are not opposed to the union choosing to pay nothing simply because they can get something for nothing. However, state-level data on the decline of union membership following the passage of state right to work laws is not necessarily a good predictor of what will happen after Janus. Because most of the state laws are a mixture of anti-worker laws that include right to work, for example, in Wisconsin, union membership declined 38% between 2010, the year prior to the passage of Act 10, and 2016. However, Act 10 contained a host of other provisions, such as the elimination of collective bargaining for public sector workers. Following Janus, unions will now have to fight for every union member to ensure they choose to remain members members and pay their dues. Right-wing groups of the sort that brought Janus, Fredericks, and other anti-union cases will mount a nationwide campaign to get members to quit the union. Many labor unions that have not been strong in engaging their membership will have to keep up a constant level of contact and organization to maintain their membership or risk losing big. They will have to make the case to members why they should stay with the union and pay dues, and they will have to make that case often. Unions are considering a number of options for getting state laws changed or changing internal policy to adjust to Janus. New York passed a law in anticipation of Janus, which other states are considering, that would allow unions to deny or charge for some services such as grievance representation. Some states are considering laws that would require workers who are not members of the union to pay for representation and grievance representation.
license procedures. This approach would have the benefit of discouraging free ridership by not providing the full benefits of membership to those workers who choose not to join. However, it carries the danger of turning unions into pay-for-service organizations that will find themselves turning away workers in their time of need. Labor law professor Samuel S. Stryker has proposed an interesting approach that unions could take that would reduce the rate of possible free riders, not require legislation, and not require unions to turn away non-paying workers. S. Stryker argues that unions should require workers who choose not to pay their union dues to instead donate the money to a 501c3 charity. Unions already permit religious objectors to take this route, and a stretcher suggests expanding the program to any objectors. Since this approach would require all workers to pay an amount equivalent to their dues, but would let them decide if the recipient was the union representing them or a charity, it would separate the true objectors from the free riders. The allowance of fair share fees in both the public and private sector was in part intended to promote labor peace, and the imposition of right-to-work laws may lead to more strikes and labor unrest. The massive teacher strikes this year in West Virginia, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Arizona, Colorado, and North Carolina have all taken place in right-to-work states, and this common fact was likely no coincidence. Workers in right-to-work states tend to have lower salaries and fewer benefits. Meanwhile, unions are weaker, possibly because they serve as a moderating force to avoid direct and often illegal confrontation. These effects from right-to-work laws can create an environment where workers' frustration grows. They have few options to better their situations without direct action, and they organize at a grassroots level. After Janus, with right-to-work becoming the new rule for all public sector workers, there may be a break from a long period of U.S. history when strikes have been rare. Our second story this week comes to us from TheGuardian.com and was written by Mike Elk. The title of the story is U.S. Meatpacking Workers Face New Hazard, Threat of Deportation by ICE. Meatpacking has never been the safest or the most pleasant job. Now under the Trump administration, workers are facing another hazard, the threat of deportation. We were working in the plant and the agents showed up with machine guns and started taking everyone outside, 20-year-old Carlos Meatpacking packer at the Freshmark Meatpacking Plant in Salem, Ohio, told The Guardian, Last week, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, otherwise known as ICE, agents conducted their largest workplace raid to date at Freshmark, arresting more than 140 workers. The Retail Wholesale and Department Store Union, RWDSU, says that in addition to those arrested, ICE is currently holding unexecuted arrest warrants for another 110 Freshmark workers employed at several facilities throughout Ohio. The news is striking fear in the heart of the region's growing immigrant communities. Carlos, who wished not to be identified, arrived from Guatemala four and a half years ago to help his undocumented father, who has been living in the U.S. for 15 years, by sending money back home to his two younger siblings in Guatemala. Like many of his colleagues, he is now worried that an industry dominated by undocumented workers has become the favorite hunting ground for ICE officers determined to pursue Trump tough crackdown on undocumented immigrants. The Ohio raid followed the arrest of more than 100 immigrants in a raid in April on a plant owned by Southeast Provisions in Morristown, Tennessee. With Trump announcing that he plans to quadruple the number of workplace raids, organized labor and immigrants' rights groups are responding rapidly in the hopes that rapid legal aid and education will help immigrant workers successfully fight off deportation. The RWDSU 
WDSU was set up as a resource center in the basement of St. Paul Catholic Church in Salem, providing food, diapers, and gift cards to families that have lost their breadwinners. The union is also giving workers access to immigration and workplace safety attorneys. We are all family and we are all one, and if one of us is down, we are all going to be there to help pick up, said Juan Moscaso, an immigrant from Peru, working as a shop steward at a nearby sister plant in Ohio. We are a union and we are going to stand for one another. But the immigrant communities are still feeling particularly vulnerable. Meatpacking is dangerous, fast-moving work that relies on undocumented workers. Census data indicates that one-third of meatpacking jobs are done by immigrants, although that percentage is probably much higher due to underreporting, especially in the current environment of unemployment where employers are scrambling to find workers. Undocumented workers are also less likely to report violations for fear of attracting attention and deportation. A week before the raid on Freshmark's Salem facility, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, also known as OSHA, fined Freshmark $211,000 for three separate incidents in which proper guards for dangerous machinery were not in place. OSHA found that the lack of safety guards resulted in the death of an undocumented worker. Last December, Domingo Ramos, a 49-year-old undocumented worker from Guatemala, was killed when his foot was sucked into a rotating auger, ripping off his lower leg and leading to him bleeding to death. Many in organized labor suspect that the media attempt following the death of an undocumented worker at a Freshmark facility in Ohio may have resulted in increased scrutiny being placed on all of Freshmark's Ohio facilities. It's unclear why ICE chose to raid the plant. ICE did not respond to a request for comment at the time of publication. The plant had been the site of tension between the growing Latino community working in the meatpacking plants and the surrounding white Rust Belt community. The anti-immigrant Ohio Jobs and Justice Political Action Committee held a protest outside the plant over the company hiring undocumented workers in 2011, according to the Cleveland Plain Dealer. However, despite the increased scrutiny on meatpacking plants, workplace safety activists say that the raids on poultry facilities are unlikely to have a dent in the high turnover immigrant workforce employed by them. Instead, the raids will probably lead to more dangerous conditions for newly arrived immigrant workers to these communities. These raids send a real signal to immigrant workers not to speak up, and we feel like these raids enable employers in the most dangerous industry to cut corners and violate labor standards, says Debbie Berkowitz, who served as chief of staff of OSHA under Obama from 2009 to 2013 and now serves as the director of the Worker Health and Safety Program at the National Employment Law Project, NELP. The raids come as statistics show that enforcement at OSHA is dramatically down, according to a new report put out by NELP. In 2017, the first year of data under the Trump administration, there were 1,071 fewer enforcement inspections by OSHA than in 2016. More startling, the report showed that in the first five months of 2018, enforcements were down by 1,163 from the already low level for 2017. Instead of focusing on protecting workers, workplace safety experts say that decreasing workplace safety standards under Trump will make more meatpacking workers scared of speaking out. Meatpacking is a very dangerous industry. Rather than hold employers accountable for violating basic work protections, this administration has chosen to target and arrest workers, said Berkowitz. Our final story for this week is 
from InTheseTimes.com and is written by Rebecca Burns. The title is Planned Parenthood's Union Busting Could Have a Chilling Effect for Workers Everywhere. When Ashley Brink accepted a job at Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains, PPRM, in April 2016, she knew it would mean taking a $3 an hour pay cut. It also entailed relocating from Wichita, Kansas, among the cheapest U.S. cities to live in, to Denver, one of the most expensive. But Brink was passionate about Planned Parenthood's mission. In 2013, she'd helped reopen Wichita's sole abortion clinic, closed four years earlier following the murder of its doctor, George Tiller. After three years of working as the funding and patient coordinator for the small clinic, a job she says included everything from checking in patients to helping them secure funding to travel to Wichita for abortions, she was ready for a new adventure with an organization she admired. As a traveling health center assistant for PPRM, Brink works at multiple clinics across three states. I get to help so many different communities access healthcare, she says. Access is very important to me. So Brink was dismayed when, in May 2017, Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains announced that it was closing six of its clinics, including one in Casper, Wyoming, Planned Parenthood's only facility in the entire state. That was the moment when Brink says she and many of her co-workers decided they needed a union. In December 2017, employees at 14 clinics in the metro Denver area voted to form one. That made PPRM just the sixth local Planned Parenthood affiliate to unionize out of more than 50 nationwide. In at least two of these cases, the local employer was accused of attempting to squelch worker organizing, but this year, PPRM went a step further when it appealed the union vote to the NLRB, as previously reported by The Intercept. That's left employees like Brink feeling disheartened as they wait for a decision that could also have broad implications for workers nationwide. A small group of PPRM employees first began organizing in the fall of 2016. Their key issues included wages, according to the union. The median annual wage for PPRM employees is $35,000 a year, which is at the low end of the median range for health workers given by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. A high staff turnover and prohibitively high cost of adding family members to employee health insurance. The clinic closures convinced other staff members that they needed a greater say in organizational decision making. PPRM cited financial reasons for the move, including lower reimbursement rates for an expanding pool of patients on Medicaid. But health center workers weren't consulted about which clinics would shutter or how their patients would be impacted, according to Brink. Closing rural clinics is one of the worst things we could be doing, she says. Patients kept asking us, where am I going to go? The people who made the decisions weren't the ones who had to have those conversations. By August 2017, a majority of staff members in the Denver area, as well as the as the traveling team, had signed union cards with the Service Employees International Union, SEIU, Local 105. But Planned Parenthood CEO Vicki Cowart declined to meet with staff or grant voluntary recognition, according to the union. Over the next four months, staff members say that they were subject to captive audience meetings and a flyer instructing staff to, quote, be sure you have all the facts and vote no, end quote. The flyer claimed, among other things, that the union would be harmful to patients and lead to less flexible work hours. In December, Colorado employees voted 72 to 57 in favor of the union, but soon afterwards, PPRM announced that it was challenging the outcome on the basis that the new union would exclude the organization's further-flung clinics in Colorado, as well as those in New Mexico and Nevada. In response to a list of questions emailed by In These Times, PPRM 
provided a statement that reads, in part, quote, Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains values the choice of every single employee impacted by the important decision to form a union. Over the past year, SEIU Local 105 worked to organize only 14 of our 24 health centers, 14 of 18 in Colorado, 0 of 4 in New Mexico, and 0 of 2 in Southern Nevada. During this time, we communicated repeatedly our belief that all workers should have their voices heard, urging SEIU to include all health center staff in any proposed bargaining unit, end quote. Amanda Martin, a health center assistant in the organization's Littleton, Colorado clinic, calls the ar- this argument disingenuous. The NLRB's regional director initially approved a bargaining unit comprised solely of Colorado clinics because of the difficulty of organizing across state lines. But if PPRM wanted to include all of their employees in decision-making, they don't need the NLRB to direct them to do that, says Martin, who is also an elected member of the staff's union bargaining team. They're looking to make us start all over. PPRM is being represented by Fisher Phillips, a law firm that advertises union avoidance among its services, forcing unions to organize larger numbers of workers across sprawling geographic areas, isolated work sites, or occupational differences. It is one such avoidance strategy that the firm has utilized successfully in previous cases involving employees with multiple work sites. While including all the workers of a given employer may make for a stronger bargaining unit, if successful, it also sets up a bar that many union organizing efforts cannot clear initially. Thus, cases concerning the appropriate makeup of union bargaining units have for years been hotly contested before the NLRB. In December 2017, a Republican-controlled NLRB overturned a key Obama-era decision that made it easier for workers to organize so-called micro-units within a specific department of job or job classification. If Planned Parenthood prevails, the precedent could set up another hurdle for worker organizing within larger or geographically disparate employers. In April, Trump labor board appointees Marvin Kaplan and Bill Emanuel sided with Planned Parenthood, allowing its appeal to go forward. The case will now be heard by the full five-member board. In her dissent to the decision, Obama board appointee Lauren McFerrin cited a potential chilling effect on worker organizing. McFerrin says, The employer's sole proposed unit here was employer-wide and included its Las Vegas, Nevada facilities, which are over 700 miles distant from the Denver metropolitan area that is at the core of the directed unit. She wrote, In many, if not most instances, such daunting geographic barriers could be prohibitive to employees' right to choose and engage in collective bargaining. Stephanie Felix Sowie, healthcare organizing director at SEIU Local 105, also also stresses that the case could have substantial collateral damage. If this conservative board rules against the workers, which they likely will, it could set a dangerous precedent, she says. A precedent that workers can only organize if they have the resources to organize an entire company and the ability to cross many state lines. Martin, Brink, and other PPRM staff are still hoping to convince their employee to drop the appeal. They've received high-profile support from Colorado legislative and gubernatorial candidates as well as current state lawmakers. Nobody has more skin in the game than those of us who work in the clinic, says Martin. We're not organizing in a way that would be harmful for the organization, but there is a way to support both reproductive rights and labor rights, including those of the employees that work at Planned Parenthood. We don't see this as separate things. And that does it once again for another week of This Week in Labor. Be sure to join us next week as we discuss more topics involving the labor movement. And don't forget to follow, like, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. For now, 
In solidarity, this is your host, Tim Billity. one big union you've got to join it by yourself everybody here will join it with you you've got to join the one big union by yourself if that road gets rough and rocky if the hills get steep and high we will sing as we go marching and we'll win one big union by and by. Brothers gotta join that one big union. Brothers gotta join it by himself. Everybody here will join it with him. Brothers gotta join the one big union by himself. Sisters gotta join that one big union. Sisters gotta join it by herself. Everybody here will join it with her. Sisters gotta join the one big union by herself. Everybody gotta join that one big union. Everybody gotta join it by herself. Everybody here will join it with them. Yes. Everybody join the one big union by themselves. I'm gonna join that one big union. I'm gonna join it by myself. Don't want nobody to join it for me. I'm gonna join the one big union by myself. I'm gonna join that one big union. Yes, I am. I'm gonna join it by myself. Don't want nobody to join it for me. I'm going to join the one big union by myself.